You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Hey, everyone at Awakened Church. John Bevere here. I love you guys. You're like my family. I'm so proud of this church, and the reason is you have two of the greatest leaders in this church, Pastor Jurgen and Pastor Leanne. Uh, Lisa and I are so privileged to call them friends. Their stance for truth, but yet their absolute passionate love for people is so beautiful to behold. Every time I get with them, I get so encouraged, so built up and so strengthened because they are two truly great leaders. I'm proud of this church for standing for the truth. But I wanna minister to you right now because we are going through a season right now where there are a lot of questions in people's hearts and minds. And so I... In order to open up what I wanna share with you, I wanna take you back to when I first got saved. First of all, most of you may not know this, but I was actually raised in the church. Now, my parents would bring me to church every single Sunday, but I had absolutely no relationship with God. And it was quite evident because in high school, people witnessed to me like crazy. People would witness to me in college. I played varsity tennis at a Purdue University tennis team. And there, were, there was one guy my freshman year, he literally walked walked out of my room with tears in his eyes because he said later, after I got saved, he said, John, I shared with you for two hours and you didn't have a clue to what I was saying. But I remember it was my sophomore year, one of the best athletes in the state of Indiana lived in my fraternity, came up to my room one night and he shared Campus Crusades for spiritual laws. And I remember God did something. He opened up the eyes of my heart and in my fraternity room on that night of January, 1979, I received Jesus Christ as my Lord, Master and Savior and my entire life changed. I remember what opened my eyes was that I saw that God actually wanted a relationship with me. He wanted to be a father to me. He wanted to make promises to me and keep them like a good father does with his son or his daughter. He cared for me deeply. He loved me uniquely. And I remember that night, my life was completely and totally changed. And what really marked that conversion was the presence of God. I wasn't much of a crier before that, but now I am literally in tears. I remember one night, I don't know why I remember this so well, but there was a storm building in the distant and it was ominous. And I remember thinking my dad created this universe, this world, and I just started weeping. I was overwhelmed by the presence of God. I felt like it was being held in his arms. He was answering my prayers so quickly. Oh my goodness. I remember my cassette player broke in my car. Yeah, you're going to have to Google this a little later. What in the world is a cassette? It's prehistoric, okay? But anyway, I had a cassette tape player in my car and it broke. And I'm a I'm a, I'm a broke college student, all right? I got no money to fix it. I got no money to buy a new one. And I, I was so upset because that's where my worship came from. That's where my teaching came from. And I remember thinking, Jesus, you said lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. And I laid my hands on my broke cassette player in my 70 Chevy Impala. And do you know that God fixed that thing? I took my hands off that. I put a cassette in and it started playing and it never broke again. I mean, it was wonderful. I thought this is Christianity, right? But after a few years, it seemed like the presence of God started becoming a little more elusive. My prayers weren't getting answered quite as quickly. It seemed like now I was going a different direction from the destiny he had put in my heart. And the overarching cry in my heart was God, where are you? 
Has any of you ever had that cry in your heart? God, where are you in this situation? Let me tell you, you're not alone. And I want to talk about that today. What I didn't understand is that there is a three-step pathway that God uses all of us to get to our destiny. What is that three steps? First of all, he makes us a promise. If you look at Joseph, um, he gives him a couple dreams. David, the prophet anoints him, you're going to be king. Jeremiah, God says, hey, you're going to be a prophet to the nations. I actually have a prophetic word that was given to me in 1980, July of 1980. Yeah, I was a college student that I didn't start walking in what was spoken in that prophetic word until I was in my 50s. I mean, it's amazing. Now you may be sitting there going, yeah, but wait a minute, God hasn't given me glimpses of my destiny. Well, let me, let me say this, and I, I love you very much, but you need to hear this. My Bible says God rewards those who diligently seek him in faith. It does not say God rewards those who casually seek him in wonder and doubt. So you might wanna check up on how much you're seeking him and how in faith you are. Okay, well, let's move on. Once he gives you the glimpse of your destiny, then the process begins. So first of all, it's the promise. Then we go to the process. Now, what's the promise? The process. That is what I like to call the wilderness or refining. Why is the process so important? Because it develops in you the character to handle the fulfillment of the promise. Now, once you've successfully navigated that process, then comes the promotion. What's the promotion? That is the promise being fulfilled. The Apostle Peter writes about this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. The first five verses, he talks about our inheritance in heaven. He makes this statement. He says, in this, your inheritance in heaven, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. Now, let's stop right there. A little while to God is a little bit different than a little while to us. If I say to, if I say to you, I'm going to be in your house in, in a little while, what, what am I saying? In the next 15 minutes, I'm going to be at your house, right? But Peter also writes, a day with the Lord is a thousand years. And a thousand of our years is one of God's days. So one day with this scientific mind that I got, right? I thought, wow, a day, one day with God is a thousand years. So what's an hour to God? So I divided 1,000 by 24, and I found out one hour to God is 42.6 years. So that means 15 minutes is seven or eight years. Yeah, aren't you glad you heard that? Anyway, though now for a little while, if need be, and let me just help you understand this, the need is there. You have been grieved. That word grieves means greatly distressed by various trials. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. Isn't that wonderful? If you're going through heavy duty trials, just realize you got genuine faith. It's not counterfeit. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. Now, let me go back to that time period when God's presence started seeming elusive. I'll never forget, you know, we were attending a church that we preached pretty much faith, the promises of God, about abundance. It, 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 it was, we never heard about character. <clears throat> and one night I was out praying. Lisa and I lived in an apartment complex. This is like around 1983, 84, somewhere in that time period. And that field was like my prayer grounds. And it was like nine o'clock at night. And I'm on the prayer grounds and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And I will never forget this as long as I live. But he said, son, I'm going to begin to teach you how to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. He said, I'm going to begin to do a work of holiness in your life. I was so excited to hear those words. 
I ran from that field, ran back to the apartment, went to Lisa and said, Lisa, God just spoke to me. Listen to what he said. And I shared it with her. I said, I'm so excited. He's going to begin to make me into a holy man of God. I said, all the excessive TV I watch, it's going to stop. I said, all the sports I watch on TV, because I'd watch sports after sports after sports. There were times I couldn't even eat a meal if my favorite team lost. I said, all this fleshliness, it's going out of my life. I am so excited, right? Well, do you know what happened the next three months? I ate twice as much as what I normally ate. I'd watch twice as much TV. I was indulging in sports more than ever. And I remember three months later going back out to that same field going, God, you said you were going to make me into a godly, holy man. I am like twice as fleshly as what I was before you spoke to me. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And he said, son, that's because you're doing it your way. He said, holiness is not a product of your flesh. It's a work of my grace. He said, now I'm going to begin to do it my way. Well, I had no idea what he was talking about. But over the next six months, I started going through trials like I had never experienced before. I, I'm going to say this, trials that I didn't even know could exist. I mean, trials like I never experienced before I got saved. They were unbelievable. And they weren't self-inflicted trials. Do you understand what I mean by that? Like a self-inflicted trial is when I do something stupid and I'm getting punished for it, right? No, I'm doing what's right and everything is going wrong. And I remember during this six months, I became a terror to live with. I mean, I'm yelling at Lisa, right? At the stupidest little things. I'm irritated by my nine-month-old son who's now 34. I, I, I'm angry with my friends because they're not giving me the sympathy I deserve. Um, I'm mad at my coworkers. I'm really upset with my pastor because he's not recognizing me. And, and I mean, I, I'm, I'm a terror, okay? And after six months of this mess, I remember I started getting a little scared. I'm like, I went back out to that field and I said, God, where's all this anger coming from? Where's all this bitterness coming from? I mean, I wasn't this way before I even got saved. I, I'm worse than before I got saved. And I remember the Holy Spirit said, son, look at, look at your wedding ring on your finger. Now, my, my ring was a 14 karat gold ring. Some of you may not know what that means. 14 karat means this, 14 parts out of 24 parts is gold, 10 parts out of 24 parts is impurities, copper, zinc, nickel, other metals. So you have to understand, I have an engineering background, so God's going to speak to me this way. He said, look, look, look at your gold ring. I said, yeah, yep. He said, does it look like pure gold? I said, yeah, it looks like pure gold. He said, what happens if you put it in a furnace and heat it up a couple thousand degrees? I said, well, it liquefies. He said, then what happens? I said, well, the impurities, the copper, zinc, nickel, which are lighter in molecular weight than gold, they, they begin to come to the surface. He said, they appear, right? I said, yeah, they appear. He said, you keep saying... Where is this anger coming from? Where's this bitterness coming from? He said, son, it's always been there. It's been invisible to you, but not to me. He said, now out of my love for you, I've brought you into this furnace of affliction. And he said, what's happening is they're beginning to surface. They're appearing to you now. He said, now what you do with it's going to determine your future. He said, son, if you keep blaming your pastor, your wife, your friends, all this impurities are going to go right back down and we're going to start this process all over again. He said, or you can own it. And he said, if you own it, he said, I'll take my ladle and skim it right out of your life. And owning it means, God, I am angry. Please forgive me. I am bitter. Please forgive me. Wow, that really changed my life. I'll never forget during that time period, 
The pain in my life was perpetual. Jeremiah makes a statement. He says, why is my pain perpetual? I lived in pain. I got up in pain. I went to work in pain. I came home in pain. I would go to bed in pain. I'd get up the next morning in pain. I'd go to the office in pain. I remember one day, it was so unbearable, it seemed like to me. I closed my office door at work. I put my head between two corners, uh, you know, two walls where they met. And I said, God, why do I hurt so bad inside? And God said to me, because you're dying, son. He said, there's always pain and death. He said, son, do you wanna know how you're going to know when you're dead? I said, yeah, how will I know when I'm dead? He said, you won't hurt anymore because dead people don't have pain. I said, God, would you please kill me quick? You see, you have to understand the time period was 1984, 1985, right? And there was a destiny on my life. I knew God had called me to preach the gospel to the nations. And Jesus was coming back in 1988 and I had to get this ministry going. And so, yeah, yeah, some of you are laughing right now. That's the way we were. But anyway, it's kind of like Joseph. You know, when, when Joseph, I, I mean, Joseph is probably one of my very favorite people. Joseph and Daniel, two of my top favorites in the, in the Old Testament. But if you look at Joseph when he shows up on the scene, and if you don't know about Joseph, go read Genesis 37 all the way to the end of the book of Genesis. He's amazing, all right? But when he shows up, the very first scripture in the Bible about Joseph, do you know what it says? It's amazing. It says, Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. He's a tattletale. Okay, and then you go six more verses and you know what it says? Joseph's brothers hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about him. He is a guy who's a bragger, he's a tattletale and he talks down to people. If you make Joseph a leader right now, you know what you get? A very narcissistic, insecure leader. God said, I see the potential in this boy, but he needs a little refining. So what happens? We all know the story. Joseph's brothers hate him, and so they sell him as a slave. I mean, they throw him into a pit, which pit, pit, if you didn't know this, is an acronym that stands for preachers in training. He's sold as a slave to a foreign nation, and he is in Egypt, and he's a slave and one of the officer of the king's houses, right? And he's a slave for 10 years. Now, I want you to stop and think about 10 years. Okay, go back 10 years. You're at 2010. That is a long, long time ago. He is a slave in this household for 10 10 years. Now, I will say this. Most of us in the Western society don't understand what his brothers did. Back in those days when you were sold as a slave, not only would you be a slave the rest of your life, your wife would be a slave and your children would be slaves. Now, what did slaves do? They built somebody else's heritage. So you would spend all your life, your wife would spend all her life, your children would spend all their lives building somebody else's heritage. Now, it's one thing to be born a slave. It's a totally different animal. When you've been born the heir of a very wealthy man, a man who walked with kings, whose father walked with kings, whose grandfather walked with kings, and you have it all stripped away by your own brothers. What those guys did was worse than killing him. They made him into a living dead man. Now, he's a slave for 10 years, and God blesses him because Joseph is keeping God's word. But the whole time God's blessing him, the enemy's got something very evil happening underneath the surface, and that that is this. The officer's wife gets the hots for Joseph. Now, she doesn't approach him just once or twice. She approaches him every day for sex. And do you know what the Bible says? Every day, he says no. I love, love, love this man's fear of God. You say, fear of God? 
Yes, fear of God. The fear of God, you must realize, doesn't mean to be scared of God. It means to be terrified of being away from him. Paul makes this statement in Philippians, Philippians, the second chapter, I believe. He says, as you have always obeyed in my presence, even much more now obey in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The fear of God is what keeps us from evil. Being terrified of being away from a relationship, intimacy with God, it will keep us from disobeying him. If you look at Joseph, he doesn't have a cell group. He doesn't have a small group. He doesn't have a church with a great pastor like Jurgen and a great pastor like Leanne preaching to him week after week. This guy has no support yet he obeys God. He fears God, and that's what keeps him from falling into that sexual sin. Well, finally, one day they're alone in the house. She grabs him. She says, come on, nobody will know. Lie with me. Let's enjoy each other. He does what the Bible says. He obeys God. He flees sexual immorality. He runs out. She's got his cloak, his outer garment in her hand. She's a scorned woman. Her lust turns into hate, and she now accuses him of rape. He is thrown into a dungeon. Now, we've got a problem here, okay? Here's the problem. I have been to prisons and preached the gospel in prisons in the United States. Just two years ago, I was in the largest prison in the United States. It's called Angola. It's in southern Louisiana, 6,200 inmates. All of them are in from 20 years to life with no parole. That prison was a country club. It was a five-star hotel compared to the dungeons I have been in in the Middle East. A Middle Eastern dungeon is usually a hewned out empty cistern. It's usually underground, it's damp, it's very moist. You have no sunshine, it's embedded rock, right? The average Middle Eastern dungeon is four feet tall. You can't even stand up in it. There is no mattress, there is no mat, there is no running water, there is no toilet. You are living in your waste. Are you understanding this? You have no sunshine. You're in darkness. The Bible makes this very clear. They hurt his feet with fetters. They laid him in chains until the time that his personal promise from God came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. He's laid in irons and chains and they're hurting his feet with fetters in that dungeon. I'm telling you, this was not a good place. And do you know what else? They would feed them with, with what's called the bread and water of affliction. What is that? They don't want you to die. You have been accused of raping one of the king's officer's own wife and you're a foreign slave. They don't want you to die. That's too easy. They want you to live in torment. They want you to live in suffering. And so they would give them just enough bread and just enough water to keep them alive. This goes on. And this, now, now listen, this is a guy He's done nothing wrong. In fact, every time he obeys God, his life gets worse. He preaches the dream, he gets the pit in slavery, and then he does what the word of God says. He obeys God's word and he gets the dungeon. Now, they're leaving him in there for life. I mean, he's not coming out. Then you know what happens? God brings the greatest test to Joseph. What is the greatest test? There are two men in that dungeon, a butler and a baker. God brings those two men to them. They both had dreams the night before. What's the, what's the test? The test is this. Can Joseph proclaim to them the faithfulness of God when he hasn't seen any evidence of it in his life in 10 years? Oh yeah. 
God says, you're going to be a leader and your brothers are going to serve you, right? That's the dream he preached to his brothers that made his brothers so angry. But he goes from pit to slavery to dungeon. Can he proclaim to that butler and baker the faithfulness of God when he hasn't seen any evidence in his own life? Well, if he would have been like a lot of American Christians, he would have said to those guys, you had a dream last night? I had a dream once. Dreams don't come true. Leave me alone. If he would have said that, he would have died in that dungeon. And you know what he would have died saying? God is not faithful and he does not keep his promises. When the fact is God is faithful and God does keep his promises. Joseph interprets their dreams. The butler forgets about him. He's left in that dungeon two more years. Can you imagine what he's going through? I've obeyed God. I preached the dream. I run from sexual immorality. I interpret the guy's dream, tell him about the faithfulness of God. And he's still there two years longer. And then you know the story. The king has a dream. The butler goes, oh my gosh, I forgot about that guy. He interprets the king's dream. He's instantly promoted in one day, one day to second command in all of Egypt, actually second in command in the whole world because it was the most powerful nation in the world. And now there's seven years of plenty and two years of famine. Add it all up, 12 plus two plus seven. What do you come up with? You come up with 21 years later. Here comes his brothers. 21 years later and the dream is fulfilled. And some of us are upset because our God-given dream doesn't come to pass in six months. Wow. I want you to think with me, huh? I want you to think about that. We're upset because God didn't fulfill my dream in three years. 21 years later, 21 years later, God is faithful. Do you know what Joseph's life shows us? No man, no woman, no child can ever get you out of the will of God. <laughs> Joseph's brother says, we're gonna destroy this dream. We'll see if he ever leads us. When in reality, God says, oh yeah, you're actually the guys that are gonna fulfill the dream. No man, no woman, no child, no corporation, no government can ever get you out of your destiny. The only one that can get you out of your destiny is you. God brings the children of Israel into the desert but they don't fulfill their destiny. Here's, here's a real sobering reality. You know, Moses was one of the greatest pastors we have in the Bible. He had a congregation of three million people. Do you know that only two adults in his entire congregation fulfilled their destiny? Only two adults out of three million people in his congregation. You're the one that chooses whether you're gonna fulfill the destiny of God or not. How do you choose? By choosing to obey or choosing to disobey. To put it very, very plainly, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, that the children of Israel are actually examples to us. And there were five things that kept them from their destiny. Go read it, 1 Corinthians 10. And he lists those five things. Number one is sexual immorality. Well, I'm not gonna list them in order. Sexual immorality, idolatry, tempting Christ, lusting after evil things. And you know what the fifth one is? Complaining. Now I'm reading this one day. And I see that word complaining, and I remember pushing my Bible back and getting up and protesting. I said, God, how in the world can you put complaining in that list? Sexual immorality, idolatry, tempting Christ, and you put complaining in that list? I mean, remember Sesame Street? Remember that song? One of these things just doesn't belong here. Remember that song? They got the, they got the horse and the car and the bicycle and the crocodile. Which one doesn't belong? The crocodile. Because you ride the horse, you ride the car, you ride the bicycle, you get eaten by the crocodile, right? 
It doesn't belong there. And I'm like, God, complaining does not belong in this list. How can you put complaining in there with tempting Christ and idolatry? And the Holy Spirit spoke to me that day. And he said, son, complaining is a very serious sin. And that very was emphasized. And I said, okay, God, I don't get it. I need, I need understanding. Why is complaining a very serious sin? And God said to me, do you know what complaining says to me? Complaining says to me, I don't like what you're doing in my life, God. And if I were in your place, I would do this differently. It is a slam against my character. I went, oh my, my. And I remember, I went to Lisa, I talked about it. I said, Lisa, we're gonna discipline our sons for complaining. You know, we were, there were four things we disciplined our sons for. Lying, rebellion, hitting their brothers, and disobedience. And we, we disciplined them for complaining, falling under the category of rebellion. Now, somebody says, oh, that's a little harsh. That's a little extreme. Well, all four of our sons still work for our ministry and we've tried to encourage them to go on into their own dust. They, they're like, no, we wanna be with you. We believe God's called us to be with you. So maybe it worked, I don't know. But anyway, we were disciplining our children if they complain for rebellion. Do you know what? A few years after this, I, I got proud of the fact because I wasn't complaining, right? And I, I was on a four-day fast. I was in the mountains. And one morning I woke up, I think it was the third morning of the fast, and I woke up and the Holy Spirit said, son, I hear the complaining in your heart. I remember I didn't get out of bed that day. I rolled out of that bed straight to my knees saying, God, forgive me. Complaining is a very, very serious sin against God because it slams it mocks his character and says, I would do this differently if I was in your place. You know, when Joseph's in that dungeon after obeying God, obeying God, obeying God, I'm sure he felt abandoned. I want you to watch this video that our team put together. I think it will illustrate a very powerful truth. Everybody has a hero. Okay. Mine's my dad. Yes, I Since mom died, it's only been us. He has a way of filling my life with color. Dad, which one? That one. Sometimes I don't understand his advice, but I trust him. And what always brought us together was our love for running. One day, I'll be faster than him. And when I am, I'm gonna win every marathon in the world. Abby? What's wrong, champ? Or at least that was my plan. I'm losing my sight. And real quick, read to me the lowest level that you can see on there. What is called is interocular melanoma. Eye cancer. Unfortunately, you will lose your vision. That was the day my father disappeared. Okay. Come on. Dad! Wakey, wakey. Way to run, Chip? Come on. I thought he would always be there for me. I guess I was wrong. Dad, where are you? abandoned me. Where are you, Dad? Where did you go? Do you not love me anymore? Am I still beautiful? 
Are you no longer proud of me? How could you leave me when I need you the most? Abby thinks I've left her. And as much as it pains me to hear that, she's right. I've left her. The best that we can do is can we save the actual eyes so that cosmetically she doesn't lose them. That's my girl. That's my girl. That's my little girl. There's support groups, and I know this is a very difficult time. No! I've left her to realize she's more courageous than she ever imagined. I've left her to discover how beautiful she is from the inside out. I've left her to challenge herself in ways she never considered. I've left her to discover how strong she really is. baby. Why did you leave me? I was right here. I was always here. Where did you go? I was always here, baby. Listen, no one believes in you more than I do. Far you've come. My dad says he gave me what I needed, not what I wanted. You ready? Yep. Folks, what we're seeing here is amazing. This is a testament of true love. Love is allowing someone to see their true worth and beauty. I used to think my dreams were over. I thought I'd never run again. And even though I can't see my dad, I know he's guiding me the entire way. That's a very powerful, powerful video. I remember the first three times I watched that short story, I, I cried like a baby. There was another man in the Old Testament, his name was Job, and he went through a lot of trials that he didn't bring on himself as well. And um, Job made this statement. And as you listen to Job's statement, I want you to keep in mind what you just saw in that video. Job said, look, I go forward, but he, God, is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on my left. Okay, so God is there with him and he's working. I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. So you can see here, 
that just like that dad was working on his daughter's behalf, but she didn't know he was there, even so Job felt like he was abandoned by God, but God was right there working on his behalf the whole time. Look what he goes on to say in verse 10, but he, God knows the where I am going. Why? Because God planned it. And when he tests me, hey, why is everybody so down on tests? Why? I'll tell you why, because of midterms and finals, we hated them in college, right? Why are we so down on tests? But can I make this statement? About five months ago, I flew across the Pacific Ocean before COVID hit. Five months ago, I fly across. Can I, can I be honest with you? I'm really glad the pilot passed the test because he and I didn't end up in the bottom of the ocean. Tests only reveal what's in us. God said to Israel, I brought you into this wilderness to humble you and test you. What was the test? So that you could know what was in your heart. God knows what's in your heart, but we don't know what's in our heart. He said, when he tests me, I will come out as pure gold. Can I talk to you about pure gold? This is amazing. Listen to this. Pure gold is actually soft. It's tender. It's pliable. Did you know that? It's easily bendable. Do you know the 14 karat gold is rigid and brittle? So when we go through refining of God and we handle it correctly, our hearts become even more tender and even more sensitive. What else? Well, gold, pure gold has a counterpart. It's called brass. Brass looks like pure gold, but do you know brass tarnishes because of the atmosphere? Do you know that pure gold can never tarnish? Are you seeing this? When you go through the testing, the refining of God, now the atmosphere of the world can no longer corrupt you. What else? about pure gold? Well, the Bible says that the streets of heaven are made out of pure gold. They're transparent, you can see right through them. When we go through the refining of God, we become transparent vessels. They no longer see us, they see the treasure in us, Jesus Christ himself. I don't know about you, but I want so much God's refining so people see Jesus in me, they don't see me. What is Job's response? It's the same as Joseph's. Listen to what he says. This is verse 11 and 12. For I have stayed on God's paths. I have followed his ways and not turned aside. I have not departed from his commands, but now listen to this. I have treasured his words more than my daily food. I want you to stop and think about that. I've treasured his words more than my daily food. You know what's amazing? They just came out with a recent statistic. The average American between the ages of 15 and 25 spends 57.3 hours a week in front of screens. Yeah, iPhone, Android, tablet, computer, television. How much time are we really spending in the Word of God? If we're getting all this thrown at us from the world, are we treasuring His words more than our necessary food? Let me say this. The Word of God is food to your spirit just like physical food is food to your physical body. I want you to do a little experiment. I think you'll already know the outcome of this experiment, and that's this. I want you to eat one small meal on a Sunday, and then I want you to go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday with nothing to eat, and then eat another small meal the next Sunday, and do this for three, four months, and tell me how strong you are, how able you are to defend yourself. You'll be weak. This is what people do spiritually. They hear a message from their pastor 30 minutes on Sunday, and then they go the rest of the week looking at their screens and getting voices from the world to fill up their soul. 
and they wonder why they are not standing up against these trials. They wonder why they're not responding correctly in this time of COVID, in this time of great tribulation that we're going through in America. Let me tell you something even scarier. If I go without food two, three days, you know what my body does? It screams. My stomach screams, I'm hungry! You know, you've gone without food for a while. You know how your body will scream you're hungry. You know what's really weird? When you stop feeding your, when you, when you stop feeding your spirit, it gets quieter. So it does just the opposite that your physical body does. Your body screams, I'm hungry, but your spirit gets quieter. And then the next time you go to read God's word, it's not so appealing. Let me tell you, it's time, and this time we're living in, to make our hearts strong by staying in God's word so that we, like Joseph, respond properly when we go through the refining so that we fulfill our destiny. If you've complained and you've even disobeyed, if you've even said, God, what profit is it that I've obeyed you and you've disobeyed, I wanna minister to you right now. If you say, man, I've complained with my mouth, I've complained with my heart, I've even disobeyed with my actions. And you say, but I'm really, really ready to repent of this. I just want you to stand up and let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for these men and women that are standing, even these young people that are standing. And I'm asking you in Jesus' name, please forgive us. Forgive us for complaining. Forgive us for insulting your character and saying if we were in your place, we'd do it differently. I'm asking you to cleanse us with your blood and I'm asking, Lord God, that you would give us strength in our spirits now to obey your commands even when we don't see an immediate benefit. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I love you guys and I thank God for Awakened Church. Come on. Wow. Wow. What a word. Pastor John Bevere, what a boss. My goodness. Mm. I got to be honest, my sinuses started acting up during that video. It makes me think. That picture when he's picking up her mess. He's blocking her from disasters. She has no idea that he's even there. What kinds of things has your Father in heaven been guarding you from, been guiding you through, keeping you safe? Allowing difficulty, allowing challenge to grow you, to develop you, to refine you. Mm. One of the things that struck a chord with me was when he was talking about complaining. You know, the biggest weapon against complaining is thankfulness. Thankfulness. I don't know what kinds of things you've been challenged with lately. Maybe it's 
little just annoying first world problems that just continue to stack up. Maybe it's really big, heavy, hard stuff. Whatever it might be, can we just have a moment this morning and just thank our God? Can we just thank our God? Can you put your hands towards heaven? You can, you can be seated. It's okay, but put your hands towards heaven. Lord, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for who you are, for what you've done, for what you're doing. We thank you, Jesus, that in all things, you work all things together for good, for those who love you and are called according to your purposes. And so right now, we come together in this place and we thank you. We thank you for our homes, for our family, for air in our lungs. We thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Father God. We love you, Jesus. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you. Thank you for this beautiful state with our amazing mountains. We thank you, Jesus, for hot summer days. We thank you for joy in our homes. We thank you for peace at night. And right now I come against any spirit of deceit that would lie to your sons and your daughters to say that you're not there, that you don't care. I cancel it in the mighty power of Jesus. And I claim right now victory over sin and bondage. I claim victory over mindset that you would give us, that we would have the mind of Christ. I thank you for it, Jesus. I thank you for it, God. We're thankful for your blood that was poured out for us so that we didn't have to try to do this thing alone, but rather we have you as our advocate. We have you as our friend, as our father. And I thank you for it, Jesus. We're so thankful. We're so grateful for all the things that we see and all the things that we don't see. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a hand. If I could just keep you just one more minute, I just want to ask a simple question. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you've never invited him to be a part of your life, you've never received him as your savior, maybe you prayed a prayer one time, but if you're honest, you never really made a change. You know, in American church, we have people, you know, and we're about to do it, we'll lead you in a prayer, but that's actually a, an American church thing, it's not in the Bible. What we're really asking is, is Jesus your Lord and Savior? And the way that you know that is if you follow him. That's why we give you a book called Following Jesus. <laughs> because this isn't just a, something that you put a stamp on your passport saying that you've went to church. And so when you, get to, when you die, you get to show them your passport. Yeah, I went to church and I said the prayer. Remember me? Man, what if he was like, hey, so I actually don't know you because you actually didn't follow me. 
so this morning, if you're here and you're like, yeah, you know what, I need to commit my life to Jesus. I need to receive his free gift of salvation, and I need to walk with him. All across this room, if that's you, I just want you to put your hand up. Just put your hand up if that's you. If you say, you know what, this morning I just need to dedicate my heart to him. I need to follow him with everything that I am. If there's even one, I just want to give you one second. Don't leave here without doing that. There it is. There it is. I see your hand. Praise God. Come on. Come on. Is there anybody else? Maybe you didn't raise your hand. That's okay. Can we just pray this with me? Just say, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. And I'm going to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, give God a hand. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.